In this week's Torah portion, we learn of Yaakov's departure from Be'er Sheva and his journey to Choron. At night, Yaakov rests, the Torah tells us, in that place, in that hallowed place, Yaakov dreams of a ladder set in the ground and angels of God ascending and descending. Yaakov then witnesses God standing over him. God blesses Yaakov and promises that his progeny will be as vast as the dust of the earth and that all the people of the world will be blessed through the children of Yaakov. God promises to guard Yaakov wherever he goes and to restore him to this land. Yaakov awakens and the Torah tells us that he declares and recognizes that indeed this is a holy place and Yaakov utters a vow. A very enigmatic vow, as in verse 20, Pasukhov, Yaakov says, Im Hashem kimi madi, If God will be with me, And will guard me on my way in which I go. And he'll provide food, bread, and clothes for me to clothe myself. Yaakov continues in verse 21, which reads, I will be and I will be returned in peace to my father's house. The Lord will be my God. In the next verse, Pasuk Habez, verse 22, Yaakov then says, And this stone, which I have placed as a monument to mark the holiness of this spot, will be a house of God. And then Yaakov promises to tithe from everything Hashem gives him. Commentaries ask the obvious question. Is Yaakov actually creating conditions with God? I'll do good deeds if God comes through and is with me. Was Yaakov's service of God, heaven forbid, based on what he could get out of it? It's understood that Yaakov's connecting his promise of good deeds with a condition was not so that he would acquire reward from God and therefore he promises to do good. Rather, his intention was the fulfillment of his promise, and he supports this fulfillment of his promise with a condition of God's blessing, for it is the way through God's blessing, Sarah sages, that his promises can be fulfilled. We can understand this more deeply by examining the two explanations for the conditions and for the promise he makes. Rashi teaches that the condition includes and is completed with the words, Bahaya Hashem Lilekim, and the Lord will be for me a God. In other words, as Rashi explains it, there will be no flaws found in my offspring. The promise Yaakov makes begins with the words in the verse, Bahaevan Hazais, and this stone, which I placed as a monument to God. Nachmanides, the Ramban, posits that the words and God will be a God for me is not in fact a condition at all, as Rashi teaches it, but rather a promise. And that the condition in these verses ends with Yaakov's words, I will be returned peacefully to my father's home. Following the Ramban's teaching then, as and he will be my God is part of the promise, the verses should have been divided in such a way that these words begin a new verse and don't come at the tail end of the conditions that Yaakov makes.
And particularly these words, the Lord will be a God, my God, according to the Ramban. The Ramban are connected to this monument that I have placed that will become a house for God, not only because they read as details of the promise, but they're actually one idea. I will serve the one God in this place where there will be a house for God. And if so, we must then suggest that according to the Ramban as well, the Lord will be my God, is more closely connected to the condition of returning peacefully to Yaakov's father's home than to the next verse, which is why indeed they are in the same verse, despite the fact that Vahoya Hashem Li Lelekim is part of the promise he makes. Just as the promise is divided into two verses, Vahoya Hashem Li Lelekim, the Lord will be my God, and Vahoeven Hazais, and this rock which I placed as a monument, will be a house of God. And there are two categories here. The conditions Yaakov makes also can be divided into two verses. Yaakov says, If God will be with me, guard me, and provide food and garments. And then he says, And I will be returned in peace to my father's house. And according to Rashi, the end of the verse, And the Lord will be my God. Once again, because there are two categories in the condition. The verse itself highlights this. The first verse speaks about things that God will do. God will be with me. He will guard me. He will give me bread to eat. And on the other hand, in the second verse, the expression is passive, and I will be returned in peace to my father's house, as though that will happen somehow on its own. The explanation is that in Yaakov's descent, leaving Beersheba, which is in the Holy Land of Israel, and descending into Haran, the place of great wrath, there was an ultimate purpose of ascent. An ascent that has three facets. Yaakov, when living in Haran, with his father-in-law Lavan, who was a Russia, who was evil, was not affected or influenced by the evil there, and left whole and clear of sin, rising to a higher level than he was even before his departure from Beersheba. This is comparable, if not exactly like, the virtue of a Baal Tshuva over that of a Tzaddik, as we know that in a place where Baal Tshuva stand, righteous Tzaddikim cannot stand. Because a Baal Tshuva has already tasted the flavor of sin, and nevertheless, he counters his inclination towards sin. Secondly, it is particularly in Haran where Yaakov fulfilled the mitzvah of Pu or Vu to be fruitful, to find a wife and have children, and he did it with the result of a pure lineage. Thirdly, Hasidus teaches, and even according to the language of Nigla, revealed Torah, Yaakov used the lambs of Lavan in his divine service for a 20-year period of time, redeeming the sparks in the sheep of Lavan, resulting in great wealth for Yaakov, 
not only material wealth, but spiritual wealth. The actions of our forefathers serve as guides and indicators for us, their descendants. It's understood that the idea of Yaakov leaving Beersheva and journeying to Haran is an aspect of everyone's spiritual service, as is explained by the Erech HaChayim, who teaches that the verse alludes to the descent of a soul below and our descent as a nation into exile, both descents for the sole purpose of ascent. And our journeys had events like the events that transpired with Yaakov. This manifests in three ways. When the soul is yet above, it is considered righteous, and when it descends, it becomes enclosed in a body and a nefesh bahamis, an animal soul that completely obscures the godliness, and yet it carries out its divine service. Studying Torah and observing mitzvahs, and it rises to the level of a balchava. And then there is the fulfillment of the mitzvah of Purvu, to be fruitful and multiply, and indeed all the mitzvahs that the soul can fulfill in this world. And thirdly, through being involved with the physical domain and with physical things, the soul causes the world to become a dwelling for God a dwelling below, and in this way too, the soul itself rises to a level that transcends her original state. This point, the monumental shift for the soul, transforming the world into a dwelling for God, and thereby experiencing an elevation that transcends the soul's previous state, has a unique advantage in the divine service of all your deeds should be for the sake of heaven. And in all your ways you shall know him. When a person engages their consciousness completely in the divine purpose, because in this way everything, even the things in life that we engage in that are permissible but not divine obligations, are done for the sake of heaven, with conscious connection to the, the divine, God's dwelling becomes a dwelling below, literally. And we should note that this advantage of the divine service in the domain of the permissible, as opposed to the divine service of Torah study and mitzvah observance, holds true too for the first idea, the soul's ascent to the level of Balchuva, because when a Jew does a mitzvah, even when the observance of this mitzvah requires self-restraint against his negative inclination or evil inclination that seeks to disturb the observance, ultimately he or she is compelled by their own initiative and integrally internal initiative to fulfill a mitzvah, and the essential and true will of a Jew becomes revealed. And in that revelation and mitzvah performance, the evil inclination is actually exposed as a non-entity. So the mitzvah performed isn't the mitzvah of Balchuva, it's the mitzvah of a tzaddik. But when one labors for one's divine service to be kol ma'asecha yi l'shem shamayim, 
total consciousness of the divine in one's permissible actions, like eating, an act that stems from man's natural inclination and desires, from an organic need to sustain the body to live, a need that comes from the nefesh abahamis of men. Hence the designation ma'asecha, all your man's actions, bechol drochecha, in all of your man's ways. When we speak of actions performed with this level of divine consciousness, this is the experience of a Balchava. We can further elaborate on this idea of the value of divine service of tshuva to the service of returning, accessed, as we said, through the experience of intense consciousness of God in all the permissible things in our lives, in the b'chol ma'asecha, in all your actions, and then b'chol drachecha, in all your ways, in the arena of the fulfillment of mitzvahs and the study of Torah as well. One of the benefits of the divine service of tshuva is that it demonstrates the intense bond between a Jew and God, a bond so strong that even sin cannot break it, and therefore tshuva can be done after one sins. There is a similar demonstration of this bond in the tshuva that takes place for the soul in its descent into a body, contained by a nefesh abamis, an animal soul, where the soul remains nevertheless bonded to God through divine service. This highlights the value of tshuva that exists when a person is engaged in permissible things and does them for the sake of heaven over the tshuva of man's Torah study and mitzvah observance. Here's how. In one's divine service and the fulfillment of Torah study and mitzvah observance, the strength of the bond between the soul and God is expressed. Even as the soul dwells within the body, it can overpower the natural inclination and weaken it. Yet, it is in the divine service of L'shem Shamayim, of Bechol Drachecha, in all your ways, the conscious divine service with things that are permissible, that in that one can recognize that the connection of soul and God exists even as the animal soul expresses its wants and its desires. But still, even this level of the soul, bonded so closely with God in its tshuva state, through the body's engagement with permissible things, all done l'shem shamayim, for the sake of heaven, does not compare to the exaltedness that is brought about when one is transforming the world to a dwelling for God. In other words, not only is the soul or the individual impacted with an act of tshuva that reveals the bond of the soul and God, but the world is transformed by this and becomes a place where godliness is manifest. That manifestation of godliness is what makes this experience so transformative. The soul's bond with God, when it is in this world and in a body, experiences expression with the limitations of nature. And so though the soul's bond with God is strong, no matter the imposed limitations of the animal soul, 
limitations of nature and existence are still a reality for the soul. Different to the soul, impacting the world and the aspects of world, transforming these into vessels for holiness and godliness. The world by nature conceals and negates godliness, even as godliness is what sustains the world. God's unlimited oneness then makes it possible for a world that conceals godliness to actually become a dwelling for God. This transformation of world into a divine dwelling brought about by the soul reveals the unlimitedness of one God, but also affects the bond of God and the soul, taking it to the realm of the completely unlimited. And yet, these elevations of the soul that transpire only after the soul descends into a body are not yet the ultimate purpose of the soul's descent. God created everything to reveal God's honor and glory. Man was created to serve his master, and therefore the purpose of a soul's descent is not, in fact, its spiritual ascent. That is not the goal. It's to achieve God's ultimate intention, which is, as the Altarebbe says in Tanya, in Paraklamat Zion, chapter 37, after explaining God's ultimate purpose, a dwelling below, as discussed in chapter 36 in Paraklamat Vav, is not for the benefit of the soul. Rather, it is to transform the body and the divine spirit in man and his portion in this world, binding them and unifying them with or in safe, with the unlimitedness of God. And this causes for the world to become a true dwelling for God. The soul deserves endless reward for her effort and for fulfilling God's will. And so she too experiences a wondrous unlimited elevation. There are, however, various sources which teach that as the soul's descent, that the soul's descent is for the purpose of ascent, which would make the soul's elevation primary to its existence and descent. How are we to understand this now in light of what we just learned? Briefly, Hasidus teaches that it is specifically this lowest world that becomes a dwelling for God's essence. Whereas in higher worlds, things there are revelations of godliness, this world can become a true dwelling for divine essence. Essence in this world is connected to the experience of Ein Oid Milvadi, the nullification of self to the point of experiencing that truly nothing exists but God. In higher worlds, the nullification extends only into the experience of Kalei, that as compared to God, nothing is considered as an existence. But the ultimate goal and the purpose of creation is that this dwelling should be accomplished by man, which means that the divine service of man must be at a level of bittel, a simple servant who is not even aware of the wondrous nature of his master, but simply lives in service of him. 
Accordingly, we can suggest that the sources that teach that the purpose of a soul's descent into this world is for an elevation is connected to what the Altareva teaches, that the soul's descent is to accomplish the intention of Dira B'tachtonim, for in fact, the soul's elevation is its reaching the level of Bittal and the goal of Dira B'tachtonim. But to reach that, the soul's work must begin with Bittal. Accordingly, we can now understand the four aspects that follow on to the words, and Yaakov made a vow. The two conditions, God will be with me and guard me, and I will be returned safely to my father's home, which are understood to be two individual concepts because of how the verses divide, and the two aspects of the promise, as the Ramban sees it, Hashem the Lord will be my God, and this rock that I've placed here will be a house for God, again separated and divided into two verses. The intended purpose is the promise, and the condition is only a means to fulfill the promise. And if the point of a soul's descent is twofold, A, to experience elevation of the soul, and B, to achieve a dwelling for God below, so too is the divine service that brings these results, the service of Torah study and observance of commandments, and kol shamayim. All your deeds should be with divine consciousness. This then would mean that the two aspects of the conditions are reflected in these two types of divine service. When Yaakov says, if God will be with me and guard me, give me bread to eat and clothes to wear, he is referring to a divine infusion of strength that assists him in refraining from the impermissible, protecting him, vishamarti, and he will guard me from sin, and an infusion of strength to do good. Lechem, bread to eat, refers to Torah study, and beged lilbaish, a garment refers to the mitzvahs. When Yaakov says, Vishafti, I will be returned in peace to my father's home, he refers to the permissible things, the tshuva aspect of divine service. When despite the animal soul's involvement in these permissible things, he asks that they not bring him down, as he does them only for the sake of heaven. These two types of divine service bring us to the promise aspect of our discussion, to Yaakov's promise, reflecting the purpose and the intention of a soul's descent below. First, Yaakov says, and the Lord will be my God, representing man's rising up through his divine service, the soul's ascent, followed by Evan Hazais, this rock that I set here will be a house of God representing the making of a dwelling, excuse me, making of a dwelling for God below. And as the primary elevation of the soul is in transcending the limitations of the physical, of the body, and serving God who is found everywhere in an unlimited way, the order of the verses with the words, Vahoyo Hashem Lila Lekim, 
the Lord will be a God for me, extends to Vohoeven Hazois, this rock that's set in the ground will become a house of God. As the Ramban teaches, I will serve the one singular God, says Yaakov. And where this rock has been placed, it will be a house of God for me. The stone, an object of nature and limitation, will become a house of God, unlimited as God is unlimited. And yet these words, the Lord will be my God, is in the same verse as I will be returned in peace to my father's house. It's not in the same verse as the words, and this stone that I placed will be a house of God. Because ultimately, the intention of, and purpose of a soul's descent is not its elevation. It's to fulfill and accomplish the intention of creating a dwelling for God below. Therefore, the idea of the Lord will be my God is more apropos to the condition that Yaakov makes and I will be returned in peace to my father's house. And we could say that Rashi's opinion that Vahoya Hashem Lilalekim is not a promise but a condition because it's not a detail of the soul's descent but rather an elevation of the soul that results through its service as the Rambam explains, Ramban explains it as well. Because the fulfillment of Yaakov's Vahoya Hashem Lilalekim, the words God, the Lord will be my God, as explained in Rashi, that God's name will rest upon me from beginning to end, and none of my seed will experience disqualification. My descendants will be pure, can be achieved only when one's connection to God, when Yaakov's connection to God has no barriers and no limitations. The reason Rashi explains this as part of a condition and not a promise is because the soul's elevation resulting from Torah and mitzvahs is only a preparation for the ultimate goal. This stone said here will become a house for God, the making of a dira b'tachtainim dwelling below. We could posit that the reason Rashi considers these words, v'hoyo Hashem as a detail in a condition, but the Ramban considers them part of a promise, is because the Ramban includes explanations and elucidations on Torah that are on the level of revelation. And these would incorporate the idea that the soul's elevation is considered an intention and a goal. Rashi, however, explains the simple intention of the verses which experienced as one's divine service is the work of a humble servant who seeks nothing for himself and wishes only to fulfill the will of his master.